The WWE Draft starts this week, and I'm fresh back from a trip to see New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'll also be heading back out on the road for AEW Dynamite in Rochester and Philadelphia. I'm Ryan Joy, and I run MinutesToDellTime.com, a website and database tracking pro wrestling around the world. On today's show, we're talking about AEW Dynamite for tomorrow night, the WWE Draft, and TJP joining the United Empire. We also have some updates on the G1 Climax and other headlines. Travis Severance is in the house, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for September 28th, 2021, where we sort through all the bullshit in wrestling news to find you the truth. All right, Travis, welcome to the show. We got a whole bunch of trips lined up here. Yeah, yep, we're back to that old traveling again, which it's, it's nice to be back. It's always curious to me how different venues have been handling protocols and different things like that in this, this sort of new world. So it'll be interesting to see. I know Rochester, I, I sent you the email that you got to have your vaccine card and ready to go in order to get into the building. And, and I'm not sure what Philly has as far as protocol goes, but I'll probably find out in a couple of days here. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You have to bring your card. It's like a it's like not the right size card to fit in your wallet and stuff no. like that. So you have to figure out this whole thing and you don't want to get it wet or ruined or anything because you might need it at the next time you want to go someplace. So yeah, you figure out how to, do, and you can't laminate it because if you get a booster shot, they might want to write the date for that in there too. So it's complicated to bring that thing, especially yeah, if you get to shove it in a purse or anything. It's certainly a little dicey. It's odd to me, um, given the different places with the higher population that we've gone to Chicago being yeah, sure. the one in my mind where we didn't have any of those requirements. And to be honest with you, Rochester's a place where the vaccination rate is pretty high. We have some incredible numbers here. It's just part of their protocol and New York is a little bit different when it comes to that kind of stuff. So you know, off high because you can't go to wrestling unless you have it. That is true. So. That is true. And, and then we get to be, of course, front row for We'll see. Maybe a new AEW wrestler was is going to show up tomorrow night, Maybe. which would be exciting. We'll, yeah, we'll preview AEW Dynamite in full. It's funny. We were just talking about in pre-production. I'm going to your hometown yep. for Dynamite. Then you and I are traveling to Philly. Then I'm coming back home to Florida, and I realize I got tickets to Miami, and I'm going to the next three Dynamites in a row. It's like back when uh, Dynamite was in Jacksonville. I'd go. <laughs> Going sure, except you're doing the city tour, like you're doing yeah. exactly what I did. We caught the first Dynamite in Chicago, then I went to Dynamite number two in Boston, and then you joined me in Philly on Dynamite number three. So yeah, I did one, two, and three, and you're banging three out in a row too. So I'm a little jealous of that Miami trip for sure. Especially wow. the double up, the the yeah. being able to have the Dynamite and Rampage is is amazing. Yeah. All right. Let's first let's talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling and. I am back. Uh, I just went to short trip to Dallas for the, the New Japan Strong tapings. And it's funny because my wife said to me as we were boarding the plane or whatever, she saw a lot of really good wrestling over the weekend. And it's weird because her and I occasionally will watch Strong, but not very often. But she's right. Everything we saw was really solid. And so they're on the road. They got this month they're in Texas. Next month they're in Philly. But Traps really... The strong show is aptly named. It was very strong. So I, I looking at the lineup that you got to go and see, it was really hard for me to not think that they were going to show out for you guys, especially with that crowd. And they like going to Texas. They had gone to Texas a couple of years ago and started the G1 there, which was super interesting to do. 
the strong roster, the young lions or the new up and comers and stuff like that, even watching the show when it started to air again, it's good wrestling. There's no shortage of wrestling where it was short was promos and storyline and things like that. And they had this cadre of guys that they rotated in. It felt like a modified version of elevation or dark in the beginning where there were five or six wrestlers from outside of new Japan strong that they rotated in for a something. And then they had another cycle of tapings and things like that. So it felt more along the lines of impact and stuff. It's nice to see them getting their footing, grabbing some of the stars, commingling them with the newer wrestlers and starting to build those new characters inside of that organization so that hopefully it can stick on its own. Yeah. And there were some really fun story elements that were being played out over the two days of the tapings. And so on night one, I want to talk about the Will Ospreay, Carl Fredericks match and mostly the post-match angle. So Ospreay beats Carl Fredericks. I don't think anybody saw Carl win in the match, but it was a good match. Will's not done at the end of the match. He starts putting a beat down on Carl again after the match. So Clark Connors and TJP run out to make the save. So Will jumps out of the ring. He's gets the microphone. He's sitting over in the corner and he says, look, this is three on one. It's an unfair advantage that you guys have. It's time for me to even up the scores. I said, there'd be a new member of the United empire. So we're going to do that right now. So he refers to the big screen and on the screen, you see the letters T and that comes fade away and the letter J comes up and then it fades away. And then the letter P comes up and it fades away announcing that TJP is in fact the newest member of the United empire who just happens to be standing in the ring at the moment, blindsides Carl Fredericks. We're off to the races. TJP, the newest member of the United Empire Traps. Great pick, too. This is a guy who's on impact. We've seen him in MLW before, and he's all over the place. It really feels like Will Ospreay when he grabbed the two guys in Rev Pro a week ago. Nice young tag team. Good talent. And what I like about this roster that Ospreay is constructing is it's truly young guys. You look at Ocon and Cobb and Aaron Hanare and the two guys from Rev Pro, and now you've got TJP in here. He's playing risk at a different level. United Empire is starting to be a very apt name. He's setting up flags all over the place, and TJP can run that shirt all over the place. I think for him, with as much traveling as he does, and you see him pop up all over the place, this is great for that brand because if he's wearing that shirt at all the places that he goes and he can wrestle up, he can wrestle down, he can wrestle sideways, the guy's just very good. And like we had talked about in pre-production, better heel than a face. So yeah. just a really good fit. I, I don't know who's making all the calls on this. I'm not sure if Will has right of first refusal on this stuff, but the guys that he's putting together are pretty compelling. Absolutely. And TJP, he's not an old guy, but he's been wrestling for like yeah, years or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. He's a young guy who's, it's Adam Cole or it's the Young Bucks. These guys that have been wrestling since they were like, it feels like they were 10 or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, they got a ton of experience and stuff. So just a really good pick. And Carl Fredericks and, and Clark Connors are the lily white baby faces over in New Japan Strong. So just a really good moment in the ring for TJP to turn and smart chess playing by Will all around. So the other, so another angle you have is this Jay White had a match with Robbie Eagles on the main event of night one. Now, this is interesting because Jay White had previously offered Robbie Eagles an invitation into Bullet Club that Robbie Eagles denied. That's when El Fantasmo joined and all that. So there's a long story. This ha that happened, I think, in 2019. So this was like a two-year build to this match that we saw. And this match was incredible. I told you about the dive that 
Robbie Eagles did. He dove through the the second and third row, flipped, and landed on the other side of the barricade. By the way, he hit Jay White in the middle somewhere there. So it was an incredible match. Jay White obviously wins the match. Blade Runner gets the pin, takes the microphone and says, he calls out the Bullet Club over in, New J- in uh, Japan and says, I don't know what you're doing. You're adding members first. It was evil, which by the way, it was like a year and a half ago. He hasn't let that, he hasn't gotten over that. And now he's like, show of all people. Show is great. Show is going to be great as a singles guy. But Jay White wants everybody to know it's still his new era. So. Yeah, it's a smart move by Jay, but it obviously talks about some real resentment and stuff. So I don't know if that shot's fired at Evil, if that shot's fired at Gato. I don't know what Jay's doing, but Jay didn't start in Bullet Club either. Yeah. So he knows the deal and he knows how people come in and sometimes people leave and stuff. So I, I don't know if this is an internal feud that we're looking at, a la Wolfpack from NWO or anything like that. Or if, you know, I think it would be super interesting if the club were to turn on Jay White and we had this lone wolf Jay White wandering around trying to eke out an existence because nobody else in New Japan enjoys Jay either. So it would be interesting for him to be non-factionalized and try to try to sort it out and figure himself out. Maybe he would end up doing something like we see with Will creating his own faction and stuff. But it's nice to hear him shot calling on stuff back home while he's also grabbing guys like Chris Bay and building some Bullet Club here. So I don't know. Hopefully we see this boil over while he's stateside and some of the other promotions and stuff. And we start seeing that angle. Gosh, I would hot shot him into an AEW match anytime. The guy's just so incredible on the mic or whatever. Like I'd love to see him come in and just do a one time run in his mouth with MJF. Give me that match all day. There's symmetry to Gato's booking too. Like Gato turned on Okada and left chaos. He took Jay White and Jay White with him. That was the whole angle. You could see something similar to that playing out here with Jay White eventually leaving Bullet Club. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So Hikaleo had a match with Juice Robinson on Sunday. It was the same night as Extreme Rules, and I think it was by far more extreme than they had on Extreme Rules. There was one point, Jay White, or, uh, Jay White. Juice Robinson has Hikaleo down in the middle of the ring. He's got a trash can lid, a cookie sheet, and some other piece of paraphernalia, a chair. And he's beating the crap out of Hikaleo with all that stuff. And the crowd says, starts chanting, we want tables. And Juice just looks, he like looks at all this plunder. And he's give me a minute. <laughs> it's like, I got all this other stuff. So they, um, they fight all over the place. Juice Robinson ultimately gets the win, but it, they wrestled out into the crowd. They wrestled on top of my chair. I have horrible luck at wrestling mm. my chairs. As you remember, sure do. my chair, absolutely chair with my name on it. It was like completely destroyed. So. They're wrestling over there. And what happened is they came over the guardrail and then you had all the, the young boys, the, the young lions that are like getting, trying to get the crowd to move or whatever. And I can only move as far as as fast as the person in front of me. So Hikaleo, he wants to be where I am. And so he puts his hand on my back and I swear to God, I thought it was him hugging me. His hand is that big. He's just, he is deceivingly huge. Like <laughs> you see him on TV. He looks tall. He's big. Very yeah, I, I think I think the real change was seeing him on the AEW match when he came out. Like his size was so obvious then, and like for whatever reason, when they shoot the strong stuff, it doesn't feel like he's that gigantic. And the lineage for him is back to Haku. He's just a big guy. He's a yeah. big guy, and he's slender. 
I think that's part of the reason why it's deceptive how big he is. Yep. So then the main event of the whole weekend was Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer, Suzuki Goon versus Tom Lawler and Royce Isaacs. It, it starts funny. Tom Lawler ends up, he's singing Kaze Nionere because he's, you know, marking out a little bit, I think too. So Suzuki Goon gets the win here. No shock there. They're celebrating in the middle of the ring. Out comes Chris Dickinson, spends about the better part of two minutes running down Suzuki, challenges to, to a match in Philadelphia. So that'll be at the next set of strong, strong tapings, Dickinson versus Suzuki. Finally, after T Dickinson runs his mouth for all this time, he gets the mic and he says, I don't really speak English. He says, I speak very little English. And he says, F you. <laughs> Give them the middle finger, the salute. Chris Dickinson's all ticked off. We sing Kaze Nidorei about three times as we're leaving the building at that point. If you were upset about AEW not playing the song, they played it a lot at the Strong Tapings this past weekend. So, and it, you know, what's funny to me is Suzuki is like really popular here in the States and he's like a mid-card guy when he's over in New Japan. And I don't mean that as a, as a, a slight or anything. It's just they got a lot of talent and he's not factored into the main event. Yeah, it's just where he is in his career, I think. He's... I don't put him in, in terms of the undertaker with a with a realistic comparison, but he's just the sort of guy that doesn't, it, it, he's got lifetime achievement award. He's got ultimate respect and stuff. You can put him in there against anybody. It's going to be a Suzuki match. He's certainly past his prime at this point. He's not going to be in any belt conversations and stuff, but man, if you look at the talent that he's lining up, that he's facing, there's just the top end of all these shows that he's doing on this kind of U.S. tour before he ultimately ends up landing. And I think UK is where he's going to be full-time, but boy, is he going through a hell of a roster of matches? And I'm positive. The, these guys are lining up a la the way that they did when Liger did his U.S. tour yeah. It, yeah. because you're never going to get a chance to get in the ring with this legend again. And I, I think not to take anything away from Minoru or any of the other guys from New Japan, I think there's a larger crowd of very hungry fans to have the new Japan guys over here. So yeah. I think there's a push in it, it, you know, it's still pandemic time. I still think that if that we weren't dealing with that crap, we would have, a, there'd be more events and you'd see a larger swell. But at the same time, I think I would push back and say that some of the interest in new Japan now has definitely come from AEWIs and same from impact and stuff like that. So this cooperation stuff, I think it's, it's definitely a rising tide situation when everybody's playing well with each other in the pool and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. And I think that all those brands are seeing that and AEW is the most eyeballs out of them all. So they have the most shine to offer, but bringing in these guys and then putting them through that tour, it, it's just going to end up resulting in more fans and more tickets sold for those shows because people are curious and you're close to their hometown. And to, to your point, the other thing that I noticed over the past, over the weekend is Uemura, he's a young lion. He just graduated from the new, from the, the dojo in New Japan. He's over here on excursion. He can do no wrong. He can do yeah, no wrong. The fans just are into him and all he's doing is wearing black trunks. He doesn't speak hardly any English. <laughs> he just, so he's, there's no character work done, but the, the he was in there with David Finley and David Finley had to work heel because the fans would not give him anything. He would do a big move and get booed and they chant for Uemura and he just look at the crowd confused. Well, probably, I'll tell you, it'd be like a, a 10 minute exhibition type match and it ends up being like the crowd's really into it. So it, 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 that's how it is with live crowd though. We went away from a live crowd for a long time. So we were controlled and our emotions were controlled and contained inside the screens at our house. 
and we got to see what the bookers decided to give us. Well, the reality of it is live crowd wrestling, the fans are never wrong. Doesn't matter what you think. I know the Cody reaction was doing the loop recently. Yep. I'm sorry. Whether you want to go heel or not, Cody, you're going to wrestle in he- as heel for a while here, whether you, whether that lines up with your actions and your behaviors in and outside of the ring. It's just the, it's the way you're going. So you can fight it, you can go against it, but the reality of it is you're going to get the Toronto treatment for all the faces in WWE when they just want to be against you. And you say the same thing here. We saw the same exact thing in Chicago. Red Velvet was doing nothing in that match to get the crowd turned from sky blue. Yeah. Just not going to happen. The crowd runs the match. Wrestle however the hell you want. Book it however the hell you want. Build whatever storyline you want. That's why when you go into places like Philly and New York and Chicago and you have hardcore crowd bases, they're going to tell you how the match is going to go. And you know what? As a performer, you're going to get rewarded with it because they're bought in. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's certainly, we're going to talk about AEW in detail. We got a Cody match coming up and I'll be interested to see how Rochester receives him. If up until Grand Slam, I've been been live to see Cody a lot Mm -hmm. and I've not seen him boot like that. Yeah. I'll be interested to see if it was like Malachi Black that was super over and they didn't want to cheer against Malachi Black or if in fact Cody's going to do big show roads to the top stuff has turned him. It's certainly what Arn implied during his show this week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've got 20 minutes on the New Japan stuff and uh, that was only one of several topics I had. So let's talk about the, the WWE draft this, that's this week. So Travis, I'm sure Al Carl is going to have a full report on what he believes is going to happen in the draft. So let's just gap a little bit. Sure. Um, we saw on Raw last night, the Hurt business popped back up. All of a sudden, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin have reappeared at Bobby Lashley's side like nothing has ever happened. Maybe we'll get some storyline explanation for that. Probably not, because I believe they're going to get split up in the draft because... That's how WWE likes to get heat with the fans. So I think both the New Day and the Hurt Business are going to get split up in the draft. It's so odd that I, I think you're 100% right. And watching the Extreme Rules match and, and comparing that to like Grand Slam or the pay-per-view that we got to see, it's so interesting to me that it feels like more often than not, WWE counterbooks what the fans want. We saw that in a lot of match results for extreme rules where outside of i think the the six man the fans were for the person that didn't win whether it was the jeff hardy situation where the fans really wanted jeff hardy he wasn't going to come out and they book against that and it's they take this beating left and right i could certainly see that the problem is you've got these guys that fit well together just leave it the hell alone yeah they should have left it alone to begin with. You're going to split them up and you're going to go over to there and we're going to have, they're going to do, what are you going to do? I think the problem is for the heat goes back on the company, not on any individual talent. Sure. And that's the pro- That's the problem that I think they face. When but they, they get, the, the talent gets the fallout for that. And that's got to suck. Don't get me wrong. Jeff Hardy was not winning that three-man match. But boy, did that crowd want him to. And not for nothing, going back to what we said earlier, the crowd's always right. If the crowd was that hot for him, you have to look at that or you should look at that as a booker or a promoter or something yeah. like that and go, you know what? Maybe we're not 
maybe we're not giving this guy the shine that we possibly should. Who knows? Maybe Jeff's done with this and off he goes to the sunset or whatever. But them not paying off the crowd response all the time and creating negative heat is, I don't think overall is a good way to handle things. I think it works if you can get good heat on a wrestler, but when the heat turns on the company, I think that's when they start losing people. It's, it, and it goes back to one of the things that I listened to with regard to an Eric Bischoff interview a couple of months ago, where he talked about having the company be the thing that the fans dislike is not a good thing overall for your brand. It goes back to evil Vince and different things like that. And it, while that was a fine character for its time. You don't want the buildup to be hatred for WWE, the executive, like not for nothing. There's already a big enough groundswell based on the way that storylines and stuff have been pitched now. Like you'd want to, you should want to fade that heat by paying off in good ways rather than the other. You'd think they'd sugar it a little bit more the way that they did with the return of the crowd and the different pops that they gave us and yeah. stuff. So it's just a curious way to approach the, what do you got in the draft? What's so, your, so I got three swaps. Each way. So I got Randy Orton going to SmackDown. I got Drew McIntyre going to SmackDown. And I got Nikki Ash going to SmackDown. And coming the other way, I've got Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, and Cesaro. All right. All right. What WWE often does is they just pick up a feud and move it from a, to a different show. Sure. That's so I can see they've got your Kev, you have Cesaro and Seth Rollins that move it to Raw and we'll do the same program again type of thing. Like I, I could see that happen. I also have Drew McIntyre going to SmackDown. Like you mentioned, the weird thing about that is at the end of raw last night, he came out to put a challenge on Big E. So one of two things are going to happen. We've all assumed Drew McIntyre is going to SmackDown for quite a while, except maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to do this Big E match. Maybe they're going to tease the Big E match and not give us the Big E match. Again, that's part of the course. I also have Shayna Baszler going to SmackDown. She's had a period at the end of her Nia Jax situation. She looks like she's going to beat people down. And I think they'll just maybe switch her up to put her on a different show. Dana Brooke, she's gone on Raw. They're not doing anything with her. So fresh start. New coat of paint, throw her over to SmackDown. God, you're digging, you're digging in the bucket here. <laughs> yeah, but I tell you what, this is the stuff that's going to happen. This is the stuff we're going to see. We're going to see Dana Brooke wrestling on SmackDown next week. Yeah, I guess I'm a little more hopeful with my stuff. Like yeah. I, I, I could see... Cesaro going over to Raw because I think that I could see a reunification of the bar. And I oh, think that would be an interesting thing with Sheamus right now. Like he's flirted around with this U.S. thing. He's not going back to the title shot. I think they need another solid tag team or two over there. I thought Seth moved because of Becky. Kevin, just because he always has felt more like a Raw guy to me than a SmackDown guy. And they're not doing much with him. The, the Randy Orton breaking him up with Riddle and bringing him over to SmackDown. Who knows? Maybe Riddle's going and I got the Nikki Ash call wrong. I don't know. I think she being almost a superhero on SmackDown with a bigger live audience and a bigger viewership, I think is a good fit for her. And she's right now tag champ. So she goes both shows anyway. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I also think Nakamura and Priest might slip, flip-flop. Okay. You know, the IC and the US title that they seem to always do that with one, one of the two titles, the tag titles last year, they did this weird thing where the raw champions went to SmackDown, the SmackDown champions went to raw and they handed each other the titles off. So that's weird. I also thought Kevin Owens, maybe go to raw. I put Sami Zayn there with him. I think maybe they might both go just because the Canadian guys, we haven't seen that feud on raw in a minute. And then I, I got a little bit into the NXT area and I said, okay. Zia Lee and Aaliyah, they've been wrestling dark matches, probably in the draft. You can draft them up. But I also think long shot, they might bring Raquel up. 
So Ra- Ra- Raquel's a good move. I wish they would bring up Taya's, sorry, Frankie Monet. Um, they should have just started her main roster to me. I think this NXT thing has been a giant waste and unneeded completely. Zion is great. We'll see. She may be the NXT women's champion after tonight. So. Sure. And I think she would, she fits with the, what they're going with the new branding. So. Sure. She's, she's, they need character is what yeah. they need bad right now. And yep. she is certainly a character. Yep. All right. That's said, let's see. I got, let's see what other topics. Okay. Let's take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about AEW dynamite this week, next week, the week after whatever I talked about, but uh, we'll be right back. I'm going to play this commercial and we'll come right back and talk about AEW. If you love the Daily Wrestling News Show, then I want to tell you how you can support us. First, check out BodySlamClothes.com. You can get a variety of shirts for just $20, and all of them come in the super soft style, and the price you see includes all sizes and shipping. Get 10% off two or more shirts with the promo code SHIRTS10. Go to BodySlamClothes.com right now to check it out. And join Joey Jarzenka, Ian Schreier, and Rob DeLuca on Friday nights for the Primetime Rundown. They take you through the world of sports, and the show kicks off each Friday at 7 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And each Tuesday, Al Carl hosts the Essential Wrestling Podcast alongside John Smith, myself, John DeConi, and Gary Mahaffey. It's another week of updates and highlights in the world of wrestling. Here are our analysis on who we think is going to win the week's matches. Coverage begins at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. Pro Wrestling Pick'em. It's a place where you can join or host a Pick'em League to test your predictive skills in the world of pro wrestling. Create an account and join a league now at ProWrestlingPick'em.com so you can play against your friends or play against the universe. And the Body Slam Brigade newsletter. Currently going out to over 4,200 people each Friday. It consolidates all the top stories in professional wrestling into a quick-to-read email written by me for you for free. Sign up now at BodySlamBrigade.com. And of course, this show, the Daily Wrestling News Show. We're here every day, Monday through Thursday, and occasionally on Friday. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or watch us live on Facebook and YouTube at 10 a.m. This is the Daily Wrestling News Show, and we thank you for your support. All right, before we get dive into the headlines, which is what the little beep beep means. First, Al Carl has Bound for Glory uh, show coming up on the uh, the Eastern Observer, October 23rd at 3 p.m. You can watch that show before Bound for Glory goes on the air. So far, we have Josh Alexander versus Christian Cage. We have Deanna Perrazzo versus Mickey James. The Collier Shot Gauntlet will be returning. And there is going to be a triple threat for the vacant X Division Championship. They're doing a series of three-way matches now to determine the three people that'll be in that match tonight. Lorraine Kid and Trey Miguel and uh, somebody else are competing to get in a qualifier for that. Travis, you and I both will be busy, so we won't be able we to are. be there. Yeah. The show. Is, uh, is Fallen Angel in the mix for that? I don't know. They haven't announced the other triple threat matches, but Chris, Christopher Daniels did make his, his return to Impact Wrestling, he, which is funny because... He, ever since they lost the tag match, he's been gone. Yeah, he will, he would be my pick for a next X division champion. That's fun. That That's fun. All right. Christopher Daniels. Glad to see him back at impact. Hopefully he has a good bound for glory match. That'll be, if, if not that triple threat. So I agree. All right. That said, I mentioned at the right at the beginning of the show that we're going to dynamite 
tomorrow in Rochester, your hometown, getting on a plane tomorrow morning uh, and flying to you. We're going to drive down to Philly for next week. I'm going to come home and then I'm going to immediately go to Dynamite in Miami. So I've got a whole bunch of Dynamites and Rampage, by the way. But, But Rochester tomorrow, that's the only one we have a card for. So we have Sammy Guevara versus Miro for the TNT Championship. Dante Martin and Matt Seidel versus Lee Johnson and Cody. Penelope Ford and the Bunny versus Conti and Emma J. Jungle Boy versus Adam Cole. And on Rampage, we know it's Orange Cassidy versus Jack Evans and a hair versus hair match. So that's all happening tomorrow. Plus, everybody wants to talk about it possibly being the debut of Bray Wyatt, whatever you want to need to call him, in AEW in Rochester because there's the Brody Lee connection. And there's a Bray Brody connection. Now, WWE would have had to let Bray out of his 90 day non-compete to appear. Maybe we'll see. It's possible if they, if Bray wanted to give up whatever his contract was, maybe the way WWE is being run right now, finances being at the forefront, maybe they would have just let him right out. So we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. His social a little while back, he certainly got a little juicy during Extreme Rules and posted a three-man match that they had in the cage with New Day and Brian Danielson in the ring against him, Eric Rowan, and Brody Lee. So yeah, we're coming to Rochester, the house that Brody built. I know his wife, Amanda, had flown in with their sons, so they're definitely going to be there at the show. Anna Jay getting the 99 because Brody was a huge Wayne Gretzky fan. She's intentionally on that show for that reason. Um I think the crowd's going to be raucous. I'm positive there's going to be some tears in the crowd too, because I, I just have this feeling you're going to see a Brody tribute at some point. Maybe it's not in the show, but for those that don't know, he was supposed to debut on that show, the first pandemic show that they had where they had to cut the show. So we were supposed to be able to see Brody debut in Rochester along with Matt Hardy, <laughs> not, not a bad get. So if we see Wyndham Rotundo or we see any kind of sniffings of Wyndham Rotundo, because he had talked about different ways to get around appearing on a show without appearing on a show, it should be curious. And I think with the relationship that they have, if there was any way for Bray to be able to do it, he would want to do it there. So yeah, gosh, great lineup. We're getting yeah. Jungle, Jungle Boy Adam Cole four months ago talking about that match. So that's a dream book match, PWI style, right? Like, I don't think we would ever see that. Miro Guevara, so we could seriously see a TNT title change here. A lot of good, a lot of good matches on that show. And Rochester's kind of a a blue collar tech town, if you were. We have a lot of tech here, but we've got a lot of grinders and stuff. So like that lineup kind of matches the the cadence of what the crowd's going to be for. And it, and upstate New York is hot for a show. We haven't had a really good big show in a long time. And it was curious because I was at StarCast when you were in Ireland and I had talked to Cody and Brandy when I met them. And I said, boy, it'd be really nice if you guys decided to bring a show to upstate New York. And he said to me then, this wasn't even on the calendar, oh, we're coming to Rochester. I said, great. Because <laughs> usually that means Buffalo because they've got the big Sabres yeah, yeah. Um, arena and stuff. But yeah, a lot of history in Rochester for wrestling. Gorilla Monsoon's from there. 
we we have a lot of Rochester history with regard to 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 wrestlers and stuff. So it's nice to get them in the backyard finally. I think you get credit for Dalton Castle as well. We get a lot of credit. <laughs> There's a decent amount of folks that come out of upstate and a, a lot of the a lot of the stars we see on TV today had gone through upstate pro wrestling with Brody. You got Cole Cabana and Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish and it, it, Pepper Parks, who's now the Blade and the Butcher. Those guys all wrestled down there. Sean Spears, before he made his big push to WWE, was all circuited down in that area too. So Mr. Perfect's not from too far away either. Yeah, there's a lot of Rochester talent that was built in this territory for sure. Yeah, so like you said, we have a great lineup. I'll be interested to see if Cody gets a little bit of his groove back because he's facing Dante Martin and Mass Idell. Not the most over guys, but the crowd wants to flip flop back. They may they may tomorrow. I think you see the crowd hot for Dante Martin. And I well, think that's this possible. is a curious decision to book babyface against babyface, given the reaction that Cody got. I don't know if you can get a cleaner, nicer twosome to come out against those two if you want to have him that work as a baby faith lee johnson as well it's interesting because i don't think this is a move in the house of black storyline i don't see dante martin and matt Seidel being recruited for house of black but who knows what could happen at the end of the match but i don't know i think the the rochester crowd and maybe i'm marking out a little bit is intelligent enough to recognize what dante martin is and the potential that he has Gosh, I'm, he's one of the guys that I'm most excited about in that roster right now, as far as future forward, just yeah, incredible. If he gets some of his, if he gets, if he builds personality on top of that talent, he could be a real force. By the way, there's still plenty of tickets left for Rochester. If you're listening to this and you think you might want to go to the show, go to Ticketmaster. You'll find yep. some. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so that's dynamite. And and by the way, all this travel is going to actually t- kick the Daily Wrestling News show off the air for a week or so. So this is going to be the go-home show for all this travel. So stay tuned to social media. We'll still have coverage. We'll, be, we'll have the conversation threaded on the Municipal Time Facebook group and stuff like that. And I'll be posting photos because when you're sitting front row, you get some good ones. Stay tuned for that. All right. E1 Climax update, Travis. Out of nowhere, Zack Sabre Jr., defeats Naito on night one. Then he turns around and beats the IWGP world champion Shingo Takagi on the second night of A-block action. And then on the third night of A-block action, he beats Kota Ibushi. So Saber is on a roll. I don't want to say the rest of the rest of the matches in the block are easy, but he got the three hardest opponents done first and he won all three matches. He's got six points. Great Okan is sitting with eight only because he has a a two-point credit from Naito. He had not scheduled to wrestle him yet, but Naito's out and forfeited that. So Great Okan technically leads the block, but Saber is by far the spiritual leader of the block, and they actually compete in a match, a block match, on Thursday. So that's pretty much the, the highlight of, of this week, I think, is to see how that match turns out, because it's possible that the winner of that match wins the block. Yeah, so Sabre, uh, if you look historically at his G1 finishes, he's actually just underneath Bridesmaid. I think he's probably an 11-point average, which is insane given that he's never been to the big dance or been in the finals or anything like that. He His tournament wrestling in New Japan, if you take a look at his history, is really good. Part of the reason that's good is he's one of the best chain wrestlers, if not the best chain wrestler in the entire world which means that he can get in the ring against anybody and he can manipulate them in ways where 
They're just going to have to deal with him. He's quick on his feet. He's fun to watch. And he's using a classic style in a modern way, in a modern era. And it just works for him because you don't know what hold he's going to put you in. And you don't know when he's going to pull a pin out that you just don't see coming because he's fast that way. So it's, I like the fact that he's getting a little bit of shine in this event. Hopefully he carries through. I wouldn't mind him being in the main at the end. The fun thing about New Japan is that Zach's been working mid-card tag titles and stuff for a long time, but a lot of their mid-card guys, they can at any point put them in a, a title match and it's believable. Correct. Zach's going to get a title match because he beat Shingo Takagi. That's the way the booking works. Yep. So even if he doesn't win the G1, he's going to get a title match now. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll be looking for that between now and Wrestle Kingdom. He has to get it. Now, if he wins the whole thing, they might slow their role and not give us that match until Wrestle Kingdom, but sure, he's guaranteed himself a title match now. Yep. So, yep. Now, on the other side, they've only had two nights of action so far. And we, so we have Okada, Tai Chi, and Cobb are all undefeated in the block so far. They got four points. Okada tomorrow will be facing Yoshihashi. Tai Chi is against Evil and Cobb is versus Goto. Tai Chi has the hardest match there, I think. Evil is probably the most formidable opponent out of the three for those guys. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the field kind of spread out a little bit after this, but certainly building a story around Cobb and Okada. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it, it's nice to see after the United Empire had to face the retirees for month after month after month, we've got two guys from the United Empire that are undefeated so far in the tournament in the G1 really establishing themselves. I picked Jeff Cobb early on as being the guy that comes out of this um, because I think it's not a not an easy pick to make. And I think this Okada match is going to talk about a lot of what the rest of the tournament's going to look like for him. Yeah. The thing about Jeff, the thing about uh, Jeff Cobb winning the tournament this year is that the way Wrestle Kingdom has gone the last two years, it's two nights. So you're going to get two title matches. So the G1 Climax winner is going to get one of them. And even now, because they have the two title matches, it doesn't have to be the strongest guy on the roster with the most compelling match because they can give you that on night the other night. Correct. Yep. Now, this year, they're doing three nights. So it really opens things up where the, the G1 Climax winner doesn't have to be the absolute tippy-top guy. It can be one of your secondary characters. And if they want to move one of those secondary characters up into the tippy tippy top, this is a possible way to do it. And I think Jeff Cobb has that written on him. That's what they're trying to do with him. Maybe that's why Will Ospreay is not going right back to Japan because they want to put Cobb in this. Yeah, it's super interesting. And usually, like you said, Wrestle Kingdom is the final chapter for the G1, but it feels like they're telling another story inside of Wrestle Kingdom with the three days this year. So you've got... The finale of the G1, depending on how they want to book that. And then you could tell two days. I mean, conceivably, you could have three title changes in three nights if you decided that you were going to do it that way. And there's story to be played out. And the spacing between day two and day three is significant enough where there can be some conversation and some action in between two. Yeah, it's a curious way to do it this year. And I'm interested to see how it ends up playing out. As, and, and during that, you have to do Osprey versus the current champion, whether that's Takagi or... Zack Sabre or whoever. So at some point during those three nights of Wrestle Kingdom, you have to do that match. Yep. Now, if Osprey were not to not escape with the belt, you could easily do Osprey Cobb facing the person in the third night. 
or you have Civil War and you have Osprey Cobb at some point too. So I think it's interesting if you see Cobb take the loss on day one, day two, there's something else that happens. And day three, the Osprey challenge comes in to avenge the Cobb loss. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that too. Yep. All right. So that's going out. That's the G1. It's funny that we talk about, we're talking about the G1. We're two two nights in or whatever. And <laughs> we're talking about what booking is going to have January with that. Meanwhile, <laughs> on, uh, on Monday Night Raw, the news on Monday Night Raw last night was the Hurt Business. And I'm talking about how they might split them up on Friday <laughs> in an hour. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, well, different, definitely different storytelling techniques with the two different brands for sure. Yeah. So the news out of Raw last night, I meant, we mentioned the Hurt Business. Really glad that we're going to get another run with them. Hopefully they can somehow try to put a story behind how, why they're getting back together. We also had Goldberg Lashley getting set up. Goldberg did a phone in interview or whatever. And so they're setting that up for crown jewel. So that'll be the number two match on that with you know, Roman and Lesnar. And then Keith Lee made his return as Bearcat Keith Lee or Keith Bearcat Lee. We didn't talk about him as a guy for the draft, but. It makes sense to, at some point, give us a Keith Lee versus Roman match because they set that up in 2019. Come back to that. So maybe that's, and look, they've got to get more opponents for Roman. They have to, because he's just running, he's going to run through them all for a long time. They don't want to do, re, you know, constant reruns. They need to put more over there. So maybe Keith Lee is a guy that goes over. He got the second victory against the Demon after a lot of... And the first a lot of pro- victory too. A lot of production. Yeah, maybe we see the Keith Lee. I don't know. Their callback is not great. Not to say that they couldn't do that. I don't know. If they move Keith Lee over, they probably will just completely run over that former story and just try to start it fresh or whatever. I don't know. I don't tend to hitch any of my chips to Keith Lee with regard to WWE because it feels like he's been jerked around so many different times. So I don't know. We're going to get Keith Lee visiting us for three nights and there'll be some randomness that happens and he's off the show again. Well, he got a win over Tozawa. At least he didn't get beat by Tozawa. That would be... Carrying Cross-esque. Yeah. Yeah. Very... A lot worse. <laughs> All right. That said, this is the last show for a while. We will be back. Like I said, stick, stay to our uh, social media. You can social media for Minutes to Bell Time, Pro Wrestling Pickle, Eastern Observer. We're going to have lots of shows. Al Carson is running Central Wrestling Podcast every Tuesday. Daily Wrestling News Show is going to be off the air for the rest of this week. Probably all of next week as well. We may, we, something crazy happens, Travis, you and I might have to just jump on for a special show. We have the technology here. Yeah. So that's it, Travis. Anything else we didn't talk about? No, I think we're good. I'm excited to have you come in um, and, and, and treat you some Rochester garbage plates and all the other food fare that we have here. And uh, yeah, a couple of back-to-back dynamites and it'll feel like old times, really. No kidding. Absolutely. All right. Well, then for Travis, I'm Ryan. We will see you when we see you. (laughs) All right. Take it easy.